and welcome to DKI, Digital Era Entertainment's weekly anime podcast. This is episode number 96. I'm your host, Joel, and I have with me once again, Jace. Welcome back, Jace. Uh, it's good to be back. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, it has been another week in the world of anime. Uh, for me, there hasn't been much in terms of new and different stuff for the weeklies I've been keeping up with. That The eight shows, well, with... With Demon Slayer having ended, because uh, it had the weird release schedule where it started like halfway through last season and just ended, uh, I'm now actively on seven shows, which like I mentioned last week is probably a, the lowest I've had for the past two, three years. I might actually pick up one or two more just because it's a few less than usual, but the seven that I'm keeping up with are all really strong shows for me. I have been thoroughly enjoying all seven of them Uh as a reminder for folks at home, the seven that I'm keeping up with are Sabayuki, Bisco, Attack on Titan, Miss Karitsu of the Monster Development Department, How Realist Hero Save the Kingdom, My Dress Up Darling, Genius Prince's Guide to Raising Nation Out of Debt, and uh, uh, Ranking of Kings. Yes, that's right. Uh, I've heard a couple things about a couple other shows. I'm going to poke around this weekend probably and see if there's one or two that I want to add to my slate, but uh, nothing of super significance to add as we are in that, you know, middle area. Things are trucking along. But honestly, all seven, I am very excited to watch all seven of these shows every single week. And uh, if you are considering getting into any of those seven, I actually would say that they are all B pluses for me. That even if it's a smaller slate for me this season, the seven, well, eight, because I'll count in Demon Slayer that I kept up with, have all been very easy to keep up with it. None of them feel like, oh, I'm sort of going through the motions and I'm just there to keep my watching numbers up that I'm really actually liking all of these this season. It's it's just been really good. Uh, a fair amount of overperformers, so it's been nice for me. What about you? So uh, keeping up with uh, mainly just uh, the, the, because I'm still kind of in the uh, in the middle of uh, all the... Uh, like, kind of sort of a catch up of sorts with things. So for me, like I've been watching mainly just dress up darling and uh uh call it uh uh Miss Kuritsu. Um although recently I was I was on the uh on the phone with one of my uh friends uh doing the Netflix party thing uh via the plugin on uh Google Chrome and uh i introduced them to um uh comey can't communicate which i then sat through and binged with them along with uh their pick uh after that which we sat through like half the series before both of us started feeling tired because it was like two in the morning yeah. <laughs> uh we were watching uh monthly uh girls nozaki-kun oh because... i know that one that's a fun series yeah and it was that was that was pretty fun i was enjoying the uh I was enjoying the tropes in that one because it's it's a fun little twist on the fact that like the girl has the crush on the guy and then mm -hmm. like turns out the guy is the author of her favorite manga and it's like you write shoujo manga <laughs> it's like yeah and then the twist that it's of all things a shoujo so yeah uh, very fun uh that one I forget when that came out i feel like that came out in 2014 2014 okay so i wasn't that far off but yeah, yeah. uh it's almost a decade old and i only watched that one for the first time a year and a half or so ago yeah it's on uh, netflix and, and it's held up pretty well yeah i uh that that opening theme song is a banger i i oh, kind yeah. of 
even though we were binging it, I almost wanted to sit through that opening every time. And uh, it, it gave me flashbacks to uh, both like one of my favorites from back in the day, Comic Party, um, which is like almost 20 years old now. <laughs> and uh, uh, of course, like back when I used to actually write uh, I, quote unquote manga, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a Westerner. I just draw on that style, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but I, I did enter Rising Stars of Manga way back when and went through all the things of getting the big drafting paper and buying. I, I never went out of my way. I never got screen tones. Uh, so that was the one tool that I never used. But like I had the inks, I had the inking nibs, the, uh, the calligraphy pens, uh, hand lettering, everything like I did it all back then. So, of course, like watching this has me feeling like, man, I really like I've been drawing a lot more ever since I got back into watching anime. And this just has me like wanting to do it even more. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. Anime has been a big, uh, big thing for just reigniting a lot of past passions. It's been pretty cool. Cool, cool. And uh, something actually very interesting happened just this morning in terms of anime news and something I'm very excited about. Are you familiar, Jace, with Spice and Wolf? Yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, I never got around to watching it, but I've I've heard of it. I know that there was a lot of buzz. I saw a lot of fan art of that. Uh, what was it? Horo was, uh, Hello, was the girl. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I saw a lot of fan art of her back in the day and whatnot. Um, Spice and Wolf, this is a show that I've mentioned in the past, but it's been a while since it's come up that I remember bring this up probably what must have been within our first dozen or so episodes and it's weird to think how long ago that was now but i point to spice and wolf as the single greatest bait and switch anime of all time or at least the greatest bait and switch i've ever seen because my experience with spice and wolf was i saw the key art the promotional art and a couple of wall scroll pieces of art and one of the most frequently used pieces of art for the anime is the main character, Holo, not dressed in the back yep. of a cart. And I see this, and I say, okay, I'm assuming this is a fan service show. This is probably not for me. Okay, moving on. And so I did. And then it just so happened that a couple times over the years, I would be talking with people about my anime preferences, and I would say, you know, I like smart characters doing smart things. I like cerebral shows one where there's something really good going on in terms of either tactics or outwitting, anything in that vein, that's the way to my heart in anime. Yeah. And someone would bring up Spice and Wolf to be like, oh, have you read or uh, seen Spice and Wolf? I'd say, no, I'm, I've heard of it. I've seen the art. I, that doesn't l sound like one of the shows that would be for me. And they're like, no, 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 just trust me. It's a really good show. It's a smart show. And it's like, Okay, sure, yeah, wh whatever. Kind of wrote it, write it off, wrote it off. Yeah. And a couple months later, I'm talking with another friend, completely unrelated, and I tell, and I'm talking about the stuff that I like, and they say, "You might want to look up Spice and Wolf." And now I'm pausing because wait a minute, once is an anomaly, twice could be a trend, and the third time that it comes up, I'm like, okay, fine. What the heck is up with this show? People are telling me that it's actually really smart and that there's like economics and whatnot involved. And oh my gosh, were they right? Because they get you in the door or they get some people in the door with that fan service because lo and behold, the way that the main character Lawrence discovers Holo in the first episode is indeed naked in the back of his card. 
And after that, she's basically clothed at all times. Lawrence's initial reaction is, oh my goodness, what's going on? Let's get clothes on you. It's very non-sexual. She is a harvest goddess. Yeah. And, you know, gods don't usually wear clothes. And she is yep. indeed basically a wolf girl. And it's written off as, you know, oh, well, I don't normally wear clothes, but sure, fine. If you want me to, I guess I'll wear clothes. And they move on. They just move on. Like, huh. there's one or two other isolated incidents of her being in little to no clothing, and they are basically written off in a very natural way. And other than that, it is a show about economics and about politics and trade negotiations. And it is indeed one of the smartest shows I've ever seen. And it just the fact that it's, you know, hey, 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 kids, you want to try this new uh, fan service show out? Psych, it's economics. Ha ha. Huh. And just, it's the type of thing that I think about. And it's like, I don't know if economics as sort of the headline part of a show, especially when this was released back in uh, the mid to late 2000s, would have sold particularly well. But you put a pretty looking girl on the cover, get people in the door, and then you get them invested in the story and the economics. And the thing is, since I'm a bit contrarian to the regular, you know, just statistically speaking person that is either enticed or at least more tolerant of fan service that I got caught in this awkward, you know, small fragment of the market of people who actually would have liked it if it was advertised properly and then sort of uh, self-isolated or uh, didn't watch because the bait-and-switch marketing turned me away from it. But in actuality, it is exactly the type of show that I go for. So yeah. the way that it ended, it had two full arcs, very good. And the the original light novels have 23 volumes. There were 16 volumes of manga. And it ended at the end of an arc. They didn't make a anime original ending. They didn't change anything. And for what it's worth, the arc resolution was nice. But it was very much, you can tell that that portion of the story was over but it was not the end of holo and lawrence's story that it, the last shot in the anime is them leaving a town just continuing on their journey yeah so yeah it to was, be continued oh, yeah well basically it was not very well it was about as satisfying as a non-ending can get to its credit mm. because it wrapped up most of the major plot points at hand while still leaving it open and it didn't feel like it was just in the middle of an arc at the very least but you know ah, the okay. main plot point the main drive of their journey had not been satisfied and that's not necessarily required for a good resolution in a story some stories can end open and that's okay but the knowledge that all right the author has written more and it's just not getting adapted always left it as a bit of a disappointment, not even a sour taste, but just, gosh, I wish they would continue this. And today yeah. we get the news that it's happening. We don't know exactly what or how. The yeah. phrasing that has been used is, shall we embark on a journey again? That's the rough translation that we have here. Um, and it's not clear if this is going to be starting from the beginning, 
if it's going to be a one-to-one uh, retelling of the light novels or the manga, or if it's going to continue at season three right where they left off. All we know is that in celebration of the 15th anniversary, this, like a small handful of other shows that we've seen, a la Fruits Basket, is going to be revived, and I am very happy to hear it. I think that it is a fantastic show and honestly is one of those ones that if they restart, that's fine because while they were two cores in, 24 episodes isn't an absurd amount to have to restart from. It, yeah. You know, certainly the original Fruits Basket was about that length. So it can be done and it can be done very well. Um, the original cast had J. Michael Tatum as Lawrence and Holo was Brina Palencia, two very, very talented VAs who are both still active in the industry. They could pull a fruits basket on this where they just reunite the cast. I certainly know that any of the people who are already involved would love to get that paycheck because that's going to be a steady paycheck or at least as steady as you can get for a little while in anime. Yeah. And they were good roles too. So uh, it remains to be seen what exact form this will take. But the adventures of Lawrence the Traitor and Holo the Wise Wolf will be continuing in some capacity, and I am here for it. Nowadays, uh, you know, because of just how technology is advanced with animation um, and, of course, budgets from streaming platforms and everything, um, you can't count anything out nowadays. I mean, in Western animation, Futurama is making a comeback. I mean... And that's a series that, in my opinion, had one so-so finale and one very good finale that not well, that a lot of people probably watched. That has a really unorthodox production history behind it. We won't go deep into it, but bottom yeah. line is it ended twice over. And that's a weird thing, in particular, of American media based on how American networks work. But you couldn't count it out. Things can be shuffled around. Yeah, but you can't count it out. But this is a case of uh, just... It's a different set of quirks yeah. in Japan for how adaptations work and how they are sometimes, you know, the phrase commonly used would be a manga lore of yeah. a show that is only ever intended to have one or two arcs adapted and that the studio is just not going to invest in it as a long-running show and use it basically as a vehicle to sell the novels or yeah. the manga, whatever the original source material may be. But uh, Spice and Wolf is one that has definitely stood the test of time and has had a smaller but loyal fan base that it's not it's not a hyper niche show. Yeah, it's not a like it's not even small enough that I would necessarily call it a cult following because I think it's a mainstream enough that a lot of people are recognized it and it definitely feels like that today. But at the same time, it certainly wasn't a shonen. This yeah. wasn't something like, you know, a soul leader or. Uh, you know, a one piece or anything like that. So, uh, you know, we don't get things like this every day. And uh, when we get it, it's nice. And uh, I'm very happy that this is, frankly, one of the best possible shows, I think, to have this type of treatment for. Uh, it was something that left off in a place that left you wanting more. It's not like this is something that had a proper resolution. Now they're just rebooting it to change the ending. This was something that never got its proper end. But yeah, uh, that's enough of me rambling about that because we should get on to the main topic, which is parents, or lack thereof, in anime. Uh, this is actually a topic that I have had to sort of just on the back burner for a while of, all right, 
if we ever have a week where we don't know what we want to do, this is one that we know we can get a lot of mileage out of. And yeah, because everybody, whether they have them in their life or not, whether or not there is a good relationship, whether or not you know who they are or not, everybody has parents. Yeah. Whether or not they know them. That and the relationship one has with their parents is going to be a very formative thing for their life, regardless of what it is, that whether they are there or not, whether the relationship is good or bad, that whatever form or lack thereof it takes is going to be influential on you. And it certainly is influential on stories. And sometimes the way that that is done in stories is the complete and utter lack of parents. Sometimes it is a plot point where you have, all right, this character it was orphaned or lost their parents early on, and that might be a source of tension or trauma or drama in one way or another. Or we just might not address the matter of parents. Maybe this is a school slice of life show, and it, everything happens at school, and maybe the parents are vaguely referred to, but we never see them, and we don't need to really see them or hear from them. But even then, it's interesting to see these different types of stories and how parents and the various relationships, once again, or lack thereof, can function in a story. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because, like, there are instances where you might see one parent and never see the other one, and it's never even explained. You know, I mean, case in point, Pokemon, good example, uh, single parent. So, I mean, there's also the single parent trope in anime where you see one parent and you don't see the other one and sometimes they're important to the plot other times they're just a reoccurring character and you just are left to ask huh what happened to the other parent you know it's inconsequential but yeah sometimes there will be entire arcs about it sometimes it's the driving point of the entire show sometimes the show just says eh, don't worry about it and i think it's kind of the beauty because this is a trope that's existed for years in general, like in storytelling, um, it's, it's particularly famous for this. Yeah, I mean, people will point out the Disney trope of the dead parent in Disney, but the thing is, is, it goes back. It's a fairy tale type thing. When you tell stories to kids, it you know, you don't talk about the parents. You talk about the protagonist that's usually young because you're trying to appeal to that young audience, and it just carries over into the storytelling that we see frequently in anime and manga because we have young protagonists and usually the parents are inconsequential. Yeah. And then in other ones, it really run the gamut. So I guess I want to start sort of dropping examples uh, just to make sure that we take care of vital business early. We obviously have the parents in Code Geass of uh, Charles Z. Britannia and Marianne Lee Britannia and uh, eh, I think we're way past the statute of limitations on spoilers. Well, obviously, <laughs> Charles Z. Britannia is not a good guy, and this is known pretty early on in the series. This is very much telegraphed that he is your primary antagonist for the series. Um, the exact depths of his problematicness, I won't bother getting into, it, and I'll leave that as mm. uh, something that people can watch. But bottom line is, this guy is not a good parent. He is a totalitarian dictator and then also has other things that may or may not uh, leave the world hanging in the balance and certain beliefs which could jeopardize the existence of humanity or at least mm. as we know it. Um, then there is 
the uh, subsequent driving force of the reason that Lelouch just so viscerally hates his father is not because his father is a dictator. It's not just that his father, well, the reason that he got exiled by his father is because he confronted his father over the death of his mother. So Mm. actually in Code Geass, the relationship with the parents is just not only the driving force, but it is actually the catalyst for the primary conflict in the show itself, that if Marianne does not die prior to episode one, Lelouch never confronts his father and never gets banished. But as we might find out, certain events may have had influence on one another and certain events may or may not have been premeditated and had uh, planned outcomes that do and do not come to fruition. And Marianne as a character, as we come to find out, has her own hand in all of this, that she is not simply a damsel in distress who was slain for the sake of being slain, that there are reasons and influences, and that then ends up impacting Lelouch in the end game of the series. Mm. And uh, for him as a character, the relationship with his parents, the desire to destroy, quite frankly, his father for what he initially perceives as indifference or uh, active malice to not only himself and his sister not only, but to his mother is a very big part of why he has that hatred. Because Mm. Lelouch is not initially trying to change the world and uh, save the Japanese people and topple a totalitarian dictator. He just hates his father. He ju- yeah. That's really it, and that for a very long time, the conflict of the Japanese people versus the Holy Britannian Empire is his means to the end of getting back at his father that, all right, I will raise an army, and all right, I've been banished to this colony, effectively, so I'll help them form an uprising because the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so let's go. Hmm. But uh, yeah, it was not even intentional that I had this topic ready for the <laughs> sole purpose of being able to vamp on Code Geass, but it does wind up being a very relevant plot point. And even if it's not something that's brought up in every episode, that when you dig down into the roots, that is the root cause of everything. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's interesting because that kind of follows the trope of like the sins of the parent trope. Um, in which you have series like uh, Evangelion. Everybody's <laughs> oh, everybody's yeah. you want to least talk about favorite parent. In anime. Everybody's least favorite parent. Get in the robot Shinji, <laughs> like yep. Gendo Ikari, or oh, Gendo. Not a main character situation, but probably one of the more infamous moments in bad parenting in anime. Show Tucker in Full Metal Alchemist. Oh boy. Oh boy, Shao Tucker, good times, by which I mean not good times. Uh, like, two of the most memed bad parents in anime history right there. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I mean, like, still, the, it still perseveres. Like, Evangelion's what, like a 30-year-old series practically at this point? Uh, and, and FMA is at least close to 20-ish? Oh yeah, well, the thing is, the for the longest time, the main antagonist is just referred to as father. Yeah. And he's not everyone's actual father. Yeah. But he ends up being Ed Nal's father. So the word as father of, as is a brotherhood. A lot. 
as and, a and at least as a brotherhood. <laughs> and even before that, when you're just going into the original FMA adaptation, uh, the role of King Bradley as a yep. father is a central point in the end game and uh, has a lot of implications on his interactions with several people. Um, the ability to not become a parent that uh, Ed and Al's mentor, yep. um, I'm blanking on her name. I feel very bad. One moment. Oh, God. Um, uh, FMA mentor, Izumi Curtis. Yeah. Uh, one of the main plot points is the fact that she can't be a mother, at least yeah. not in a uh, traditional biological, biological sense. sense. Yeah. Um, um, and, and of course, that becomes a thing there the absentee parent trope of dead parents in FMA as well on top of it all. Well, uh -huh. until, until the end of brotherhood. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, I mean like going with anime from back then, uh, I'd, I'd have to say probably another despised parent of sorts, um, that we don't, as far as I can remember, don't get to see maybe in the, uh, recent, uh, new animation of it, fruits basket, um the the soma family ah, yes. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so because as far as i can remember i don't think we ever see the mother of the actual family itself like because you have the family head akito and then like i don't think you actually see anybody else as far as like you know upper yeah, their direct parents but then on the other side of the equation you have kyoko honda who is again one of the biggest driving forces that um toru as a character is very much formed by kyoko and her upbringing and her memory and yeah. as we get deeper into the series we come to realize that toru's mother actually had a significant influence on many other characters without toru's knowing and a lot of the series is actually discovering all of the wonderful things that Kyoko Honda did during her lifetime and all the people that she touched and all the lives that she helped improve or soothe in one way or another. And yeah. that in a lot of ways, the actions of Kyoko Honda are the web that connects everyone in Fruits Basket. Mm. So uh, I'd, I'd say one of the most unusual anime that comes to mind when I think of odd situations with parents um and and this is a reach like this is this is going back again like to the 2000s uh happy lesson do you remember happy lesson i have never even heard of this one congrats okay. you've stumped so, me up to look this one up so this one this one was dubbed by adv films i remember it vividly because they had a uh, uh they used to put centerfolds inside of the new type issues and one of the uh, female characters was the centerfold in an issue. The entire uh, concept of the series is you have this orphaned main character, and it's a harem anime, and all of his teachers are obsessed with him and trying to be his mother. Yeah, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article right now, and, uh, quote, The plot of Happy Lesson is based on five teachers uh, who end up living with a troubled and indifferent orphan and their unusual plan to become mother figures in an effort to make him a productive student. To achieve their plan, they employ various methods such as science experiments, spiritual cleansing, physical training, and hijinks. Resembles it, a harem anime. Yeah, and it, uh, it's very much a harem anime in the way of, like, say, uh, Tenchi Muyo, but rather than romantic attraction, it's, you know, motherly affection, but 
like you have the science teacher who would be the equivalent of Washu with the crazy experiments and there's all sorts of like there there's like the classmate that's into it it's it's just pure insanity it was such a funny show um yeah and it's and it's a short show it's like i think only 13 episodes or something like that um it is very much a quick watch it is hilarious and i can't believe it that show as of april is 20 years old so i mean i'm i'm dating myself with a lot of these references but they are the things that stick out in my mind when i think about like missing parents or you know interesting parents the fact that you have I think it's like five teachers that are all trying to act like this guy's mother. It's like, it's insane, but it's definitely unique thing that you would only find in anime dealing with parents, five people trying to be parent to one character. Um, I'd say um, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a few other ones that really pop out. Um, I one that I won't go into because it's currently airing, but I will say that uh, while it's not a formal award that we give, uh, we said in our Anime of the Year video that Ranking of Kings has both the Best and Worst Parent of the Year award. Won't say anything more than that. But, I think uh, I saw a post about that on Facebook, actually, with one of the characters, so I think I know what you're talking about with that. Yep. Um, uh, this, one, this one really came to mind. Uh, Genma Saotome in uh, Ranma One Half. Uh, aka the panda father to the main character it's uh not a very good father <laughs> but a very interesting case that he's you know one put their kid into an arranged marriage because of the martial arts style two uh took him to train in a very dangerous area with all these pool like ponds of or, or springs of drowned things that if you fall into it you're now cursed to transform into things when splashed with water. You know, so what happens? Ranma falls into the string of the drowned girl and switches between being a girl and a boy. And the father is stuck as a panda. <laughs> and, and really doesn't care about his son's feelings at all throughout the whole series, in my opinion. Like, it's, it's kind of sad, despite the fact that the show is kind of a wacky comedy. Mm -hmm. Um... One of the, the more niche shows of the past several years, and one that I don't talk about enough, frankly, but I genuinely tout as one of the best dramas in anime, and one of the shows that has gone most under the radar in the past several years, Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju, sometimes just hmm. known as Rakugo Shinju, uh, as the name suggests, a series about people performing Rakugo. Uh, this one's available on okay, Crunchyroll. Yep, yep. Can't recommend it highly enough. It is such a good drama it's two seasons and it is it's a slow burn but it is gripping in a way that so few series have been able to be and the the role of parents and both biological and stand-in is something that is not necessarily the central trope yeah, or the central factor, but it is a recurring one, and it is one that is explored in various angles and facets, and that does mm. it very well. Uh, I was actually just uh, searching around for you know examples of anime parents, and the uh, the character of Yotaro uh, is one that is definitely examined pretty well, and uh, 
that's one of those series, Showa, Genroku, Rakugo, Shinju. Honestly, it's one that I mm. should bring up more often because I, I want to champion this one. Uh, it was actually introduced to me by Corey, uh, who used to be part of uh, the radio drama cast. He pushed this one on me for a long time, and he was right. So yeah. uh, if you're looking for a incredible character drama piece, just look that one up. Just look up Rakugo Shinju. You'll find it. Yeah, uh, it was really I, uh, released in, I think we like, mentioned that during the hobbies, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So definitely look that one up. Um, on the other side of things, we have some ones where, like you said, the characters are, they're not, um, in a more normal sense, Lucky Star comes to mind, where you mm. have parents are there, they aren't central characters, you yeah. have a couple skits with them. But in terms of something that is just normal, frankly, yeah. because normal is not the norm in, well, storytelling <laughs> yeah. as a whole, that usually if you're going to have a character, they're there for some sort of function, yep. that, whether to be a soothing factor or an agitating factor. Yep. And it, since the slice of life genre is not as big a thing in Western media, we actually don't get to see just your average parents yeah, in many things yeah. outside of maybe the occasional sitcom. Yep. But even then, usually parents will have a shtick in some way or another. And I suppose that the parents at Lucky Star have a couple of quirks, but on the whole, they're pretty normal. And it's sort of like, oh, that's right. We can have normal. That does happen. Yeah. How nice. I'd, I'd say speaking of quirks, um, Family plays a big role as as I suddenly morph into a uh, Vin Diesel. <laughs> family, uh, be, being a six foot tall bald guy. Um, family, uh, family, family plays a big role. <laughs> my attempt at a Vin Diesel voice uh, in My Hero Academia. We Absolutely. see a lot of families in that series, and they all play roles in these characters lives to some degree some more so than others um i mean you have in more infamously in terms of like a troubled or bad parent situation you have uh todoroki you know mm -hmm. and then you have in the situation of say uh fans drawing lots of fan art and thirsting over say bakugo's mom <laughs> so um but family plays a big role from what i've seen so far in my hero academia um uh, we see the relationship between deku and his mom and you know we see how he grew up and it's a very fascinating thing because there doesn't seem to be a like at least in this case there are so many families we're introduced to we don't see that in a lot of series per se you know because it's an ensemble cast that they bring in so many tertiary characters from people's families just for say an episode or two or or like just a brief portion of an arc yeah yeah for sure that uh like you mentioned obviously uh endeavor has pretty much an entire arc with yeah. the relationship uh that he has with shoto and it that's one that actually gets explored a lot and gets a it gets the time to breathe and actually have progress that whereas in the first season it feels like all right this is going to be just the trope of it is the sort of aggressive abusive father 
that uh, I won't get into full details for lack of spoilers, but it's been several years and things have moved on yeah. both in the anime and the manga that Endeavor makes strides, genuine strides to improve as a parent that yeah. he comes to recognize the mistakes he's made and Shoto does not inherently forgive him and Endeavor understands and is okay with this. And you actually get a very about as healthy as you can get at least attempt at uh, a parent salvaging their relationship with their child. And even if they don't get to a perfect relationship, that it's the type of thing that you have the understanding of the offending party of, I have done something wrong. I will try to make it right. I am not owed forgiveness, but I will try to earn it. And uh, frankly, frankly, you love to see it. Because yeah. you don't see it often. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, it's not very often you get a uh, bad parent redemption arc in a story. You know, it's usually they either are the villain or they did their damage and now are absentee in the story. Yeah, and sometimes you, if you have the redemption arc, it's very instantaneous and happy-go-lucky of everything is fine now. We're going to sweep everything under the rug and we're going to be a happy family. Yay. And real life doesn't work that way. No. It doesn't work that way. And um, my I hero mean, for all the things that it does that are obviously very unrealistic, that it takes a a intensely realistic approach to this. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I definitely say, like, it's not very often that you see a character with those moments. Um, and it's funny because, like, when, when I think of, like, that whole parent redemption uh, thing, like, in Western media great example star wars it's instantaneous it's at the end of return of the jedi and you know let me look upon you with my own eyes and then he dies and you just go like well that was it he saved his son's life and uh all is forgiven <laughs> like, oh absentee parent to villain to redemption of genocide and enabling a dictator yeah and- you know, slaying younglings. No worries. Um, until the prequels. The light at the end. That's great. Yay. Until the prequels, we literally just had, within the course of two movies, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, we had the the v, the reveal, the parent being the villain, the redemption act, and then dead. And of course, at the beginning of the series, the absentee slash dead parent. So you get all the tropes in one right there. And, and then obviously the non-biological parents also being slain, uh, Rip, Lars, and, o- or sorry, Owen and Baru. Yeah, the the Lars family. Yeah, so I mean, so that one checks off all the boxes. And Star Wars, of course, has had its own manga adaptations. It's got Star Wars Visions, which I hear did well. So I'm hoping for more Star Wars anime projects in the future because I now, love them all. If you want to talk <laughs> good parents and like one of the most beautiful parenting stories frankly in anime uh and it's a movie not a series have you seen wolf children i've heard of it i haven't gotten around wolf I, like, children I is one it, of I've... the films by mamoru hosoda so the guy who did more recently bell um but also uh the ones he's most known for are summer wars uh the boy and the beast a bit more recently mirai mm. girl who leapt through time that wolf children I think might just be his best film. Yeah. yeah. Period. Um, it's the, I forget if it's the first or second of his that I saw. I actually had the privilege of seeing 
the English dub premiere of this uh, when I was working with Funimation. Uh, it was actually at Oticon, which at that point mm. in time was local for me. Um, and I was in the front row sitting uh, next to the English cast, actually, as they were watching the premiere because um, I was working the Funimation booth that weekend. So uh, personal connections aside, it is just legitimately it's the story of a single mother raising two children who yep. have wolf aspects. Yeah. And yeah. it is a story about um, not just the mother, but the mother and the children and their relationships as they grow up, because it starts off the day the first child is born and the, that Hannah is the perfect phrasing here. What's the right phrasing? She's she's the perfect aspirational parent that mm. she doesn't do everything perfectly, but her heart is always in the right place. And that yeah. she wants to she wants the best for her children desperately. And there's going to be complexities when you're raising two human children. When you have two parents, there's going to be more complexities when you're raising two non-human children with two parents. There's going to be more complexities when you're raising two non-human children with one parent. And yeah. the relationship and the arcs of the children, because all three of those main characters, um, they go through such an interesting transformation. Yeah. Of, I, I don't want to spoil this one because you can watch this movie. It's two it's just a bit over two hours and it it feels like a four-hour movie but in a good way that just every scene is jam-packed it doesn't drag at all but when it gets to the end it feels like you had more than a movie's worth of content because of how rich the whole thing is just if you have not seen wolf children honestly one of the best anime films I have ever seen, full stop. And mm. on the topic of parenting in particular, it is so poignant, so well done. The music, the animation, the acting, both in Japanese and in English, fantastic. Go watch Wolf Children. Mm. I, it's definitely something I'll have to look up. Uh, I mean... Uh... I, I did a quick search and I couldn't find anywhere where it was streaming, including Amazon Prime. Um, doesn't Should even have information, I would think. But then again, um, um, sometimes film streaming rights are quirky. If nothing else, I know Funimation sells and you could buy it for like 15, 20 bucks and like actually have the physical copy. But I'll yeah, see if I can't find a uh, sometimes sometimes. Uh, uh, even publishing rights on movies change hands because uh, I know G Kids uh, got the Miyazaki collection uh, and handles the physical. It's on Funimation. Okay, it's funny. Uh, you need to be I a subscriber in... for that one. Yeah, uh, it's not it's... A, a free to watch movie, but it is on yeah. Funimation. No, no, they they have free trials. So, <laughs> um, now uh, one of the things that comes to mind when I think of uh, parents in anime too um, would have to be both um and and this is like the originator of where the other one came from what the inspiration for it sailor moon uh with of course you see usagi's family who of course aren't really her family because she's you know princess from the moon and all that but you see her loving parents and all that and then you have 
Uh, on the other hand, something that I had no clue and could not remember until one of my besties reminded me of it literally earlier today, Sailor Jupiter, who lives on her own and has no parents and blows my mind because I think back to it and go, this is the mid, like early mid 90s in Japan where they went through an economic bubble popping. How the hell is a 14 year old girl living on her own? Never mind manga and anime logic. Stop thinking. <laughs> Basically. But you have like that whole dichotomy there because uh, as far as I can remember, you don't really see a lot of other parents. I, I don't think you see Venus's parents. I know you see Ray's grandfather because he runs the shrine. Um, I think you might see Ami's parents at some point. I can't remember. Uh, or one of her parents, maybe during like a villain attacking or something uh during one of her episodes um but then you have the um the complete flipping of everything in that genre trope of madoka magica and you have the character of mommy who is mysteriously missing her parents um and we never get any explanation why um we can only guess that it had something to do maybe with her wish um but of course she gets killed off so we never even bother with that again um and then we see throughout the whole series the really healthy relationship between uh madoka's parents uh uh junko and tomohisa you know in which you have the businesswoman and the uh the house husband actually which i thought was a very it's it's unique you know you have the high-powered businesswoman and the house husband's away from that traditional gender norm um but it's also very wholesome because they both really care for her you know and, and really both care about their family i loved seeing that throughout that whole series it was just the the interactions between them and madoka were wholesome and then like the relationship between the husband and wife were just really cute i i really just loved seeing that in that anime so it's definitely one of my favorite uh watches for seeing that sort of thing mm. uh one series i can't go too much into because there's a lot of spoilers and things baked into it that aren't inherently the main crux but have very vital significance and because of how powerful it is i don't want to spoil this one there are parents in assassination classroom mm. that are very strong characters in the sense that they have uh there is a lot to them and they have big influence even if they aren't a central role yeah. in the series so i take it you have seen assassination classroom right i've i've seen a bit of it i never i never, never finished finish it? it but okay. i i uh, have seen finish it first off yeah really good series fantastic ending like assassination classroom might be in my top 20 of all time Hmm. it's been a while i need to revisit it but i really liked assassination classroom let's leave it at that and you get to see not all of the parents because you know it's 20 odd people in the class yeah but you get to see the parents of several of the main characters and nagisa's parents come into play in very big ways shall we say yeah and that's all i'll say so, uh, yeah. Uh, now, another one, which is definitely a bit more infamous for being a bad parent, uh, Ragyo Kiryuin from Kill a Kill, 
mm, good old yeah, rainbow-haired, yeah. hyper-abusive mother. Yep. yep. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That is, that is definitely, like, they they rank up there with, you know, your your Gendo and your show Tucker yeah. in the uh, the pantheon right. of worst parents ever in anime. Basically. <laughs> but she does have an amazing theme song. Mm, mm. Kranz, such a good song. Uh, the OST in general for Kill a Kill is top tier. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that makes Ragyo Kiryuin so iconic in addition to her actions is her her uh visuals just her design yeah the fact that she is constantly backlit with rainbow light her hair glowing frequently with that same light yeah and the fact that she is almost always accompanied by a awesome awesome theme song it's uh it's funny that you mentioned kill a kill too because i believe studio trigger also uh while this is not anime uh, I believe Trigger did animate a sequence for the show, uh, uh, the Misadventures of Gumball on Cartoon Network, had a fight scene involving Gumball's mom and another character's mom, uh, and I believe it was animated by Studio Trigger. It is an amazing huh. freaking. I didn't know that they had a hand in Gumball. I've only seen like a half episode, but yeah, that's cool there's to see. Gumball. Gumball did. Uh... Uh, I guess it wasn't Studio Trigger was busy um, with other projects, but they did get a Japanese studio to do it. And it is very much in the style of Kill a Kill. So it's amazing that it's not Studio Trigger that did it. Uh, it's Studio Four Degrees C, uh, Four Degrees Celsius, those guys. Uh, they did the anime fight scene uh, for it. And they are the fifth guest animator, apparently, for that show. But nice. yeah, that look up gumball like I, I the fury fight scene um it is literally you'd swear it would have been studio trigger they nailed that art style the fight was freaking great and uh gumball's mom definitely if gumball were an anime would be in that top tier of like good parents uh list i'd say interestingly enough uh, an anime with a great deal of involvement from parents and stories would have to be at least for the first six parts jojo's bizarre adventure because you can't go too far talking about anime without jojo these days um, this is indeed a jojo's reference yeah i mean you have jonathan's father in the first story and you know how he's he an idiot him and dio yeah you know then we don't it's, see I, I blame jonathan's father first and foremost for the Here's something that I say, having only ever watched the first part and half of the second part. I know I should see the rest, <laughs> but it it didn't quite grip me as it gripped a lot of people. And somewhere along the line with the Pillar Man, I just didn't care. It wasn't considering bad. that I after care, considering part three I, onward feels like a completely different series. I say check it out. You know, like yeah, if, that's the thing that maybe the I just need to didn't grip you. Part two. Get part two and just jump on to three and beyond because. It becomes a completely different series That's after part two. I get. But anyways, going back, it just from what I can tell, yeah, if Jonathan's father weren't so freaking dense. Yeah. The entire series wouldn't happen if he had just more been, or less. If if he had just realized, oh, I'm being taken for a ride by <laughs> this 
obviously malicious father. And then if he had anywhere in the first 17 years of Dio's life realized, oh, my adopted son is freaking evil and lying to me. Through he's his a sociopath. He's <laughs> a sociopath. Yeah. And is poisoning me. Yeah. Just if he had any just wherewithal or awareness, yeah. then the entire series doesn't happen. And yeah. so many people get to live. So yeah. <laughs> he's he's a nice father. He 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 wants to be a good father, but oh my god, he's so stupid he actually ends up killing so many people. That's that's what makes uh the the kind of sort of soft reboot alternate universe like timeline thing in in uh starting in part seven where it's like oh now it's johnny joestar but it's literally like jonathan joestar from part one but now like it goes off the rails in part seven i'm not even gonna touch it just in case they ever decide to animate it because it's that crazy but every it's it's such a generational story from part one through six with six being the finale that like we get uh we don't really see joseph's father because he dies in the war uh, so we're left with that absentee parent thing you know uh so and then we go on to part three and i don't know what the hell happened to jotaro's father i can't even remember if they said anything about it um to be frank um but then we jump on to part four and we go back into we get the dead parent figure uh situation because josuke's father gets uh murdered right away at the beginning and then we find out, oh, well, also because he's got the stand towers, Josuke's real father, absentee father, was Joseph. <laughs> and then we get the sins of the father trope in part five, because Dio in Jonathan's body is the father of Giorno. And then Josuke comes back in part six, and he's kind of a hands off, like doesn't really bother with his daughter. So I guess you'd say bad father, absentee father, but like every. It's it's very As much who doesn't a, uh... watch Jojo. I'm just sort of sitting here nodding and saying, okay, yeah, these are words. And I assume that these are correct words. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Well, I'm hearing well, a lot I mean, of Joe uh, names. I'm, yep, yep. I'm kind of just like, hopefully you know... some of our listeners will uh, understand what you just said. Because yeah, like I said, I've only seen the first part and a half, but I'm, uh, I'm it very sounds like generalizing it. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, the fact that there's such a sequence there definitely it's... speaks to it. It's it's uh, kind of cool, but he wrote himself into a corner because he went from starting with Victorian England and then starting to write into the future, technically, with parts five and part six. So that's when he just said, screw it, and rebooted in part seven. <laughs> so he wrote himself into a corner and uh, kind of threw the generational concept out the window with the reboot. So it's mm. it's interesting, but the fact that he did that generational concept for six distinct arcs is really impressive that you know and the family birthmark and all that other stuff it's it's but what you said about i never once thought about that yeah it's entirely joseph the father of jonathan's fault that all of this went down he could have stopped this right at the beginning you know said all right um i'm kicking you out of my house and i am putting away this very obviously evil artifact of a mask. Seal it in a vault, you know, um, Indiana Jones, Ark of the Covenant style, <laughs> put it away, 
and the rest of the series never happens. I hope somebody hears this podcast and then decides to animate it for some sort of short, short like JoJo, like like the Star Wars meme where like a character says something or does something, and then you just see the end card written and directed by George Lucas. Like mm-hmm. I want to see somebody that do that with JoJo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait a second. You've been poisoning me the whole time. Let's get him arrested. And I'm going to lock this up forever. <laughs> Written and directed by hearing yeah, Neo Ivan hearing in our uh, <laughs> in our chat just put the Marvel What If logo up. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to see a JoJo abridged thing now that just does that. <laughs> it'd be a short, it'd be a very short project. Real easy to do. Uh, Free idea out there. Um as we start winding down, uh, one series that I know you've seen that has Really, the full spectrum of good and bad parents is Toradora. Hmm. Yeah, I've I've seen. I didn't quite finish it. It's, I oh, mean, it's okay. a, maybe I was thinking of somebody else in that I was talking with about Toradora recently. But you get both a set of well, you get a single parent who is good, and then you get other versions of single parents who are bad. Yeah, uh, and that they are big influences on their children in yep. their respective ways for sure. The kind of tiger parenting, helicopter parenting of such where you really see like how they affect the main characters in the series because of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I get the little vibe. I, I only saw the first couple of episodes like years ago at Anime Boston. Oh, really uh, good one. Um, yeah. If you want, I, just I was kind of thrown off by Tyga's design because she oh. looked like a grade schooler, but then like romantically somehow gets involved with the main character or something. Yeah, like, that, they, that they're both high schoolers. At least it's not a, you know, oh, they're both adults and one of them looks like a grade schooler. But yeah, yes, it, it is a thing. And it, it's part of a character of that. The fact that she is very, very short. Yeah. Back then, I, back then it bothered me. Nowadays, I probably could sit through it. But like back then, it was one of those things where I just looked at the artwork between the two eh. characters and was like, eh. I felt uncomfortable because <laughs> yeah, it, it is not a lewd series to be sure. Yeah. That, um, it, it's not problematic in that sense um, that, it, you know, there are some people who are still very short in high school. Yeah. It does yeah. happen. No, I, uh, I knew people. Uh, there was one that I went to from grade through high school with. And uh, yeah, she was always on the short side. I think like she topped out at like five, one, my first ex was five, one. So, I mean, like, <laughs> Uh, and that was in high school. So yeah. never again being yeah. six foot and dating somebody five one, it gave me back problems. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely want to uh, check out Toradora, fun one. Yeah. Uh, ooh, and I guess one last one for me uh, Food Wars has mm. some very good and very bad parents on both sides there. Uh, and they come up a lot that there is the concept of, you know, the sins of the parent, but then there's also trying to surpass the parent or make the parents proud. Yeah. Uh, various expectations put on a child by their parents. And then also uh, there is the influence of surrogate parents as well. Hmm. And the influences that those have when the biological parents either are not there or fail the children. That's uh, that's something that's been on my uh, to watch list for a while as well. Uh, just Food because- Wars is uh right after spice and wolf for me to bring it full circle to end it all (laughs) um right after spice and wolf in terms of bait and switch shows Mm. that you think it's all about the fan service and nope it's actually really good shonen show about cooking and that uh 
without going into my big rant about food wars because I have ranted about food wars on this show in the past. <laughs> all of the okay, not all of, 90% of the fan service is in headspace. And that's mm. part of why I think the show does so well because what they do is a lot of the most uh, iconic art of or you know images of fan service that you see is yeah. people's reactions to eating good food. And mm. it's all happening in their heads as they're experiencing yeah. these various tastes and sensations. And the show uses it, uses it as a literal and figurative spice to make it so that they aren't just doing voiceover while people are chewing on screen. Mm. So you have that, you have the little bit of fan service here, there, and then you return to reality and nobody is aware of what went on in the character's head. So it doesn't actually influence character interactions. There are exceptions to this rule, but 90% of it is headspace. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I saw a bit on Adult Swim years ago, and uh, I've been meaning to get around to watching it because when I think when I think cooking anime, I think of a series that I'd never finished watching again. Like I saw two episodes of Anime Boston on the hotel TV years ago. Uh, Toriko, it's, uh, where oh yeah, the Akira Toriyama one. Uh, was Akira Toriyama behind that? I'm 90% sure. I, I know it was Shonen Jump. I, I'm not sure who was behind it. I just know that the idea of this big, beefy guy that looked like he belonged in Fist of the North Star or JoJo, you know, beat up things and then cooked and they competed in cooking. And I also can't help but feel like. Okay, that's... sorry, it's not Toriyama. Why did I? I could have sworn it was Toriyama. Yeah, I. the only thing that I can think of when I think about that because of that is. Uh, there's also a game um, called uh, Battle Chef Brigade. Really, really fun game. I suggest that people check that one out. Um, I believe it was published by Adult Swim Games. Um, it is both a cross between a beat-em-up and a puzzle game in which you compete uh, in cooking. And it's kind of like a sort of, I guess, color orb matching type thing. It's been a while since I played it. Oh, I need yes. to go back and play <laughs> it. But... Yeah, that's that's what Food Wars kind of reminded me of was like subtract the fighting beefy guy shonen jump element of that, but still keep it a shonen series, but make it a, you know just strictly the cooking, and that's Food Wars. So uh, I it's been on the to watch uh, list ever since I saw a couple episodes on uh, Adult Swim years ago, and uh, I mean definitely interesting to hear that the parents play a role in that one too. So I'm definitely looking forward to uh, that. The list just keeps getting longer. The watch list, like I'm, I might have to scroll back, uh, like on my media production stuff, to fit some more anime stuff in there, because I've been so wrapped up working with, uh, working with uh, launching group of VTubers that like, <laughs> I don't get a lot of time to watch anime because I'm literally working with living anime. Yes, indeed. Well, that just about takes us to an hour. We started a bit late, so we're ending a bit late today. But uh, this was very, very fun. Glad we were able to cover, honestly, just scratching the surface of parents and anime. Because like we said, that regardless of if you have parents who are biological parents, regardless if you have non-biological parents, or if you don't have parents, if you've never met your parents, that the role of parents in one way or another, or lack thereof, is going to be a very formative part of someone's life. And I still and return to this topic, like for mothers. Oh yeah, and Father's we can come Day. back to this. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I'd probably want to wait until we have at least one or two other people who could join in with us for this. Yeah, but it's definitely one that you know, 
in a you know a year's time or something that we could revisit for sure and do, uh, uh, do there are various other familial relationships that we can explore that we were talking just before we went live that yeah we could do a siblings episode and we might actually just mm. split that into older and younger siblings because the interactions there are so very different or uh brothers and sisters or things of that sort so we'll figure this out but uh, uh, definitely a fun one. oh yeah absolutely so thank you all so much for tuning in uh, as always, be sure to check out our sponsor, ImageAnime at ImageAnime.com, and you can use the code DISCOUNTSHIP, D-E-E-S-C-O-U-N-T-S-H-I-P, for free shipping on all orders over $100 or more. And you can get Digital Era Entertainment merchandise at DigitalEraEntertainment.StreamElements.com. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe here on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, what have you. And speaking of our YouTube, you can visit there and check out the trailer for Kokoro no Pro, our upcoming visual novel, uh, wrestling visual novel. So definitely check that out. I will be back, not tomorrow, I'll be back next Thursday with RJ for our continuation of Great Ace Attorney. We're on the final case, having a lot of fun with that. Uh, it's going to be about a month before our next radio drama, which is going to be Pokemon 3, the movie, Spell of the Unknown, both normal and done via Lingo Jam. So uh, it's a short film. It, it's only about 75 minutes. And uh, when you cut out some of the the battle fluff to make it mostly yeah. dialogue-based, it brings it to about an hour. And uh, our shows are normally two to two and a half hours. And since we only do them once a month, the idea of it being only one hour felt a bit of a waste. So we're going to do it twice over. Yeah, so not unless you have somebody uh, wind up pulling a Michael Winslow, you know, and... Uh, sitting in for the sound effects <laughs> mm. which could be interesting at least for the lingo jam portion quite possibly yeah we might do that depending but uh yeah it'll be a couple of weeks before that one happens so yeah uh jace do you have anything that you want to plug before we head out um well i uh uh i've been a little broke so i haven't been able to work on any cosplay so i haven't been doing any live streaming myself um as i'm at uh twitch.tv slash crit hit jason um, I'm on all social medias as Crit Hit Jace, J A C E. Um, uh, I mentioned I was working with VTubers. Um, I mainly work as a producer for um, uh, Congo Musha uh, on uh, Twitch. Um, I've that's that's what eats up a lot of my time because I've been uh, I've I've been his graphic designer and editor behind the scenes. Um, so I I definitely say give him a uh give him a look cuz uh he's uh he's been doing a lot more streaming lately. Um he hasn't even officially debuted cuz I don't know the first thing about animation so we haven't been able to do a lore video yet for him. <laughs> but yeah, uh give give him a look too. Um I believe his next date uh his his next streaming day is on uh Monday. He's been doing a Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern uh, streaming schedule, um, doing mostly um, Borderlands 3 and uh, Fist of the North Star Lost Paradise, which is a Yakuza game featuring Fist of the North Star. Um, it's been fun watching him do that because uh, he's he's been going around basically making the strong bad joke, your head explode over and over again. <laughs> Wow, I haven't thought about that. I've thought about Homestar Runner a bit recently. I have not thought about the Your Head Asplode particular <laughs> meme. 
Yeah, he's, Thank he you for keeps reviving making that, that joke constantly. I keep telling him he needs to put it on a soundboard so that when he does that, he, he can actually play the sound effect instead of imitating it. Yes, indeed. Well... Once again, thank you all so much for tuning in. This has been episode number 96, quickly getting up to that 100 mark for DKI Digital Era Entertainment's weekly anime podcast. I'm Joel, he's Jace. Stay safe, stay sane, get your Fauci ouchie, wear a mask, and we will see you next time on Digital Era Twitch. Mm-hmm.